We're continuing in this series through the book of Acts, looking at what we're calling the pillars of hope, the pillars of the church. Uh, what is it that God builds a church on? And so we're spending these couple weeks in the book of Acts looking at how God built his church in the first place. And we've looked at Acts chapter 1, at uh, the church being committed to prayer. And we've looked at Acts chapter 2 really being the catalyst and the power for the church being the Spirit of God and the Spirit being poured out on the whole church to help us share the gospel freely, but also so that it connects to people and what God's doing in them. Uh, and this morning, we want to look at the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, uh, and specifically focus on the idea of merciful evangelism. And uh, so we'll get into that. But first, I'm going to pray and maybe sneak a sip of coffee, and then we'll get into it. So, Father, we thank you that we can be here again and... Um, that, Lord, you're not done with us yet. I, for one, am grateful that, Lord, I, I've lived long enough to know that when you say your mercies are new every morning, there really is a fresh, uh, inextinguishable amount of grace and mercy each morning. And, God, we need that. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you to be with us. And I pray that you would be. I pray that you would... Uh, help me as I teach to be clear and to be faithful, but that you would also help all of us, Lord, to hear what you're saying to us through your word this morning. I pray that your spirit would be here and that, Lord, he would move us forward. We do pray that you would lay a foundation here for many years to come of what you want to do in Pearland, but also through this church. And so, God, we give it to you, not just this Sunday, but, Lord, our future and all of it. We ask that you would bless it, that you would be in it, that you would be here with us. And we ask all of it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when you spend your college years in the city of Chicago, you see some things. And you see some interesting things. And especially when you are at a Bible college in Chicago, uh, you definitely see some interesting things because... Um, if you don't know anything about the Moody Bible Institute, uh, it's where I went to, did my college education. It's right in the heart of downtown Chicago. But also because every student who goes there is, has some call to ministry, uh, part of the education is being involved in a ministry in the city somewhere, in some capacity, throughout each semester. So my first year I was tutoring uh, kids that lived in the Cabrini Green Housing Project, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but when it did exist, it was in, it was in constant competition for uh, first and second spot in the most violent housing projects in America, two blocks from, uh, two blocks from Moody. So my parents were super pumped. Um, <laughs> my second year, though, I got connected to a ministry called Emmaus. Uh, they used to have an office here in Houston. I don't think they do anymore. But they were a ministry that started specifically to reach men that were caught in male prostitution and uh, which I mean came from an intact family grew up in the suburbs went to a very nice little bit fundamentalist Baptist church and now here I am in Chicago part of a ministry reaching male prostitutes there was a lot of paradigms that were being blown up this year um, and I learned I learned a lot just about how sin works and how it can trap us uh, but I also learned a lot about how Christians can kind of miss the boat when it comes to sharing Jesus with people. 
because as I got to know a lot of these guys, every Wednesday night I would go and help a bunch of other people make dinner for some guys who were going through their program. They were living in this house that they owned on the north side of Chicago. And so we would go and just spend time with them, get to know them, hear their story, be their friend, make dinner for them. Um, and one thing that I've realized is that people often don't get caught up in certain sins because they just love them. They get caught up in certain sins because they're just so wounded and just so hurt, and they're just trying to find their way through the world, and then the, the snares just get in them. And so most of these men, um, they were caught up in this because they were abused as children. They were caught up in it because they were drug babies. Um, they got caught up in it because they were orphans who were released from the foster care at 18 and they had nothing. And so they had to find a way just to survive. And I learned a lot. But one of the things that I learned that I've never forgotten is I got to know some of these guys and I would, you know, Midwestern winters are pretty brutal. Uh, and I grew up in Michigan and then I went to Chicago and I thought, what is this? Because this is awful. But most of these guys are living on the street. And so I would talk to these guys and say, like, you know, where do you, what do you do? Uh, where do you go? Is there a place that you can go to? That, like, what about some of these soup kitchens? And I'll never forget this one guy. He said, um, you know, there's some great soup kitchens in the city, and there are some great places that really try to care for people. Um, but before they'll even let you in the door, you, you kind of have to convince them that you are actually a Christian. They, they won't serve you, they won't care for you, they won't let you sleep there at night until they know that you're a Christian somehow. And he said, most guys fake it because you just, you got to learn to fake it to survive. Uh, and he said, I just, I don't feel like I can do that anymore. And so I just kind of find the warmest spot I can and hope that I wake up in the morning. And the reason why, you know, it's, it's easy to hear that story and your heart breaks and you go, what, what are these other Christians doing? Well, like, why would they treat somebody like that? Part of the issue is, is that we have, we have inherited a way of thinking as Christians in the United States uh, that there's really only two options. We can either give somebody Jesus or we can give them bread or money or food or whatever it is they need. Uh, but what the scriptures present to us is something totally different. Scriptures blow up that false dichotomy. They're, we're not stuck between these two choices. We're actually offered, presented something, a, a way of sharing Jesus with the world that is unbelievably compassionate and wonderfully generous. And really, it doesn't just give people Jesus, but it also gives people bread and homes and food and whatever else it is they need. And, yeah, and... Uh, so that when we are thinking then, I, I mean, last week, so most of you who are here, you would remember, we have these stacks of paper that last Sunday afternoon I went through and my best ability counted to figure out how, how many people are represented here. And uh, I say best of my ability, not because I can't count, but because some of these said, you know, the so-and-so family. And so I just had to guess. I'll say four people. I don't know. Uh, but my best guess, my best estimate, is there's, there's close to about 100 people here. 100 people that as we looked at Acts chapter 2 and considered, Lord, who are you pushing us out to share Jesus with? 
Who are you laying on my heart that maybe you're working on and you want to use me to reach them? There's a hundred people here. A hundred people that made, maybe they don't know him or, or maybe they've walked away because they've been so hurt by the church or so confused. Whatever it is, I don't know. But there's a hundred people that for whatever reason God stirred up. And there's a hundred people that for whatever reason God is working in us to bring Jesus to them. And so... Part of the challenge of this is that you know, we, we write all these names, and it's, a, it's an incredible moment. We pray over them, uh, and we pray specifically, Lord, we, we want to see you grow this church to double the size of this church in six months by reaching these people. Uh, and here's why I say that's challenging, is because uh, now like we're on record. We're praying that and hoping that, and we really kind of need God to do it. And so we're going to keep praying for these. I've, I've carried these with me everywhere I've gone, uh, meeting with Evan and Haley throughout the week, meeting with Mark and others throughout the week, and praying for these. And every time I think about it, I'm praying for these. And then when we end this morning, I want to pray for these. Because I really believe God could do something to reach these people. And He wants to use us to do it. He wants to give us that gift of watching Him change people. And I think that's incredible. Uh, but one of the things we also see the church do, one of the foundation marks of the early church that didn't just describe their ministry but also defined Jesus' ministry is this what we'll call merciful evangelism. And that it doesn't have to be these huge spiritual moments. It doesn't have to be this profound. It's in the simple everyday stuff that we are sharing Jesus by bringing shalom. And if you know what the biblical word shalom is about, we often translate it peace, but really what it means is wholeness and completion, bringing everything back to the way God intended. And so we're not just going to people who are really desperately in need. Maybe their home has been totally destroyed in these storms and saying, well, hope you get your home figured out, but here's some Jesus. Or, hey, we'll fix your home, but we'll never once mention the name of Jesus or never once talk about the church or anything like that. We don't, have to, we don't have to live stuck between these two options. What we see the church do and the kind of church that we want to be are those who bring these two together. So that if we're ever in a position where there is a man like my friend in Chicago who is trying to escape a horrible life, we could say to him, hey man, you don't, you don't have to prove anything to us if you're just hungry or if you need a place to get warm. You can just come and you can get warm and you can get fed. And you, you can be sure we'll talk to you about Jesus, but there's no strings attached to that. Or like what we see the early church do, here's this man who asked for one thing, and what they find in God is so much bigger, so much more wonderful, so much more restoring of his dignity as a person made in the image of God. So much more beautiful and so compelling that the world can't help but stop and take notice. But then the question becomes, well, you know, how do we, you know, we've got jobs. and Like, how do we do that? How do we be these people who share the gospel so freely and so consistently and so all? Like, we have lives that we have to do. Like, we have to find our own, make our own way to survive, right? Well, one of the things in looking at Acts chapter 3 this morning, the, the, one of the first things that stands out, that is the early church declared Jesus in bringing shalom, was that this merciful evangelism happened in the everyday stuff. So look at these verses with me, starting in verse 1, where Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, also wrote 
the Gospel of Luke says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Uh, here's why I say that this is ordinary stuff. That Peter and John are sharing Jesus and the ordinary stuff of life. Because for the Middle Eastern person, these formal times of prayer are, it's like our two o'clock, hey, I gotta get some coffee or take a nap. It's like the th normal rhythms of our day that define every part of who we are, everyone knows, like we just don't question it. For them, going to the temple to pray at this time of day, which is, Luke says it's the ninth hour for us, it's probably around three o'clock, so sometime in the afternoon. This is the normal stuff. Uh, and it's still this way. In any Middle Eastern culture, you, you will see people regularly go to formal times of prayer. But like we looked at, the church was also given to informal times of prayer. That any time they gathered together, whenever that was, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, for any other reason, they prayed. Both formal and informal prayer is a regular part of the life of God's people. And as I've mentioned, growing up in Michigan, I grew up not too far from a town called Dearborn, which if you've heard of it before, you'll know that Dearborn has the largest population of Middle Eastern people outside of the Middle East. I don't know why they picked Dearborn, of all places, uh, but there they are. And so I grew up around a lot of Middle Eastern people or people who had some sort of Middle Eastern connection. And even there in Dearborn, of all places, Michigan, right down the street from uh, the original Ford factory, they would stop and they would pray five times a day because that's what they did. It was so much a part of who they were. It was normal to them to just stop at whatever they're doing and get down and recite their prayers. It was a normal part of their life. And so here's Peter and John going to the temple to pray specifically for that purpose. They're going about their day. This is like us going to fill up the gas in our car or stop to grab something to eat. This is just the normal stuff. And it was also the normal stuff for people who could not work to be placed in public places to try to receive some help. This was the closest thing they had to disability or Medicaid or anything. Hopefully you've got some friends who can move you from one place to here, and then you can sit there and ask for some money. And some of this is still true. There's uh, a couple guys that I've gotten to see right around the, one of the major intersections by our house. Um, one guy's in a wheelchair, but he, he somehow always gets propped up on the median, and people ask for money, people get to know him. He, he's really a, a nice guy. But I also see his friends come by and check on him. Hey, do you need something? They help him get off the median, make sure he doesn't get hit by a car. And a lot hasn't really changed. These guys look out for each other because if they don't, no one else will. But especially in this day, if his friends didn't take him, he's not going anywhere and he's not getting any help and he's not going to eat that day. So all of this is ordinary. All of this is a normal part of their world, a normal part of their life, and yet here they are coming up into this, this ordinary situation, and yet something extraordinary is about to happen. And I've seen this in other situations, not because I'm always that quick to share the gospel with people, but I've been around other people. I was just a couple weeks ago meeting with lunch with another fellow pastor, uh, just kind of catching up, asking for his advice. He's, old, he's older and further along in ministry than me. Um, and so we were, we were just meeting. We went out to lunch. 
somehow got to talking with our waiter. And next thing I know, this other pastor just starts getting into sharing the gospel with this guy. And I, I mean, it's sad to say, I was sort of like, it's kind of crazy. Like, I'm, I'm watching this happen. Like, okay, this doesn't sadly happen a whole lot. But yet it was such a cool thing that it was so normal for him that he could just so freely share the love of Jesus with this guy who was kind of struggling. He has, I mean, he's doing well. There's a nice restaurant, but you could tell, like, man, there's some stuff weighing on this guy. And it wasn't long. It didn't take up our whole lunch. It was maybe five minutes. Gave the guy his card, said, call me. As far as I know, he, he did actually call him. But what I saw from my friend in that moment was just how normal talking to people about Jesus was for him. Just how easy it was for him to step into it. Like we were, we were just talking about like leadership stuff and not the super spiritual kind of things. And yet he could, kind of, he could go, hold on, and just start sharing Jesus with this guy. Like it was normal. Because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be normal. But here's the other thing about this merciful evangelism that we see from them and that we want to be these kinds of people is that it cares for the whole person. And this is why I say we want to be people who declare Jesus by bringing shalom, this holistic work of what God is doing in the world. Because we do that by caring for the whole person. And look, look at how Peter and John respond to them. Uh, Verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. The man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And this is one of those moments where if we go back in the history and we look kind of how we've come to this point to where we feel like we have this tension between caring for the person's body or their social struggles that they're going and whatever it might be, or sharing Jesus, where, this, where we feel like this false dichotomy comes from. And part of it is, you back up 100 years, uh, what we now call evangelicals were called then fundamentalists. Uh, and you started to see this split among fundamentalists where uh, some who would become really what we now still call fundamentalists were starting to go one direction and say, no, 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 all we, have, all we need to give people is Jesus. We just need to tell people about Jesus. And there was at least more what would become known as social justice sort of movement where they say, no, 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 we need to give people bread and care for them. I mean, Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you, you do for me. And so we had this split. Uh, those who were concerned more with social justice, uh, eventually their uh, theology became more liberal. And so you've got a lot of the mainline denominations like the PCUSA and United Methodists have been sort of followed this track. Not all of them, but some of them. Uh, and then you've got more of the Southern Baptists and kind of non-denominational uh, churches that follow this other track. And so now we have, we have now inherited a Christianity that says, well, you've got to choose between the two. Except, and they would look to a verse like this, because what does the guy ask for? Do you have some change? Do you got some money? Do you have some bus fare? And Peter goes, hey, buddy, I don't have any bus fare, 
but I can give you some Jesus. And we read it through this lens that we've inherited saying, oh, he's, he's saying, no, I'm going to give you something more important, which is salvation. And I'm going to neglect this part. Except that's not at all what happens. Peter says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What I have to give you, I'm going to. Now stand up. A man who could not stand or walk or move or work or care for himself on his own whatsoever. Peter says, I've gotten something better for you. Yes, you can know Jesus. But you can also walk. He cares for this whole person. And here's why this is so important and so profound. Because, again, in this day, there's no disability, there's no Medicaid. If this man doesn't work and if he doesn't have friends, he's going to die in the street. And so what Peter does for this man and what we see Jesus do countless times throughout his ministry is he restores the man's ability to work. He says, I'm not just going to give you some change. I'm going to give back to you your dignity. I'm going to give back to you the ability to provide a way for yourself. I'm going to give back to you the strength that you had lost so that you can not just receive charity, but that you yourself can become an agent of charity and compassion. He gives him so much more than money. And it's, it's easy to say, man, he restores the man's dignity as if that's a small thing. Because if you've ever been in a situation where you needed help from anybody, gentlemen, we know what this feels like. We don't like to ask for help. And our whole culture, this American culture, especially men's American culture, runs away from anything that looks like asking for help. Because if I have to ask for help, then I'm going to be weak. And if I'm weak, well, then I've lost respect. I've lost my significance as a man, as a provider, as whatever. And so then when we come up with people who really need help and really need charity, we will, it makes us uncomfortable a little bit. And so we'll, we'll focus on the one part that we're, we're okay with. And yet what Jesus does and what the apostles do is care for this whole man. And he says, look, we don't just care for your soul. We don't just care for your finances. We're going to care for all of you. And what God is going to do for you in this moment is bring every piece back together. Put all of it back together. And so he meets this man's emotional needs by restoring his dignity. And he meets this man's physical needs by healing his legs. I'm sure that God could have conceived a way that this man could have worked and still made a living. And yet in this moment, God does so much more than what he was asking. Because it, Luke tells us he looked at them. He looked at Peter and John thinking he was going to receive something from them. He was going to get some cash. And what he got was so much more, so much bigger, so much more beautiful and compassionate. And one of the reasons why I think we struggle with this is that we, we don't believe God would still do this for somebody. You know, we're, we're good Western people who have been raised in enlightenment scientific thinking, and we, we have been told that, hey, God doesn't really do this. And if he does, it's so rare, I mean... Why even ask for it? But the Bible presents a different picture to us. And it, it, 
it doesn't just, we don't just see Jesus and the apostles modeling this kind of faith, this belief that, hey, it, God can do miraculous things beyond just saving somebody's soul. He could heal their body or their heart, their emotional heart. He could heal some part of them. We don't know. But if we don't ask, we'll never know. And it, it, so it's, it's no coincidence in my mind that James, in the book of James, in chapter 2, will say, you don't have because you don't ask. And then just a couple chapters later, will say, if, is any one of you sick? And call the elders, have them anoint them with oil, and pray for them that they might be made well. I think we struggle with this in part because we're told, hey, God doesn't really do this stuff anymore, so we just got to suffer through life. But we also struggle with it because faith is always a risk. And it's, it's always a risk to trust God. I, I know that you are kind and compassionate and powerful, and I could really use your help in this way. But I also know that you are wise. And so if you say no, you, there must be a point to it. But if you say yes, there's a point to that too. Because there, there was a point in... Uh, God healing this man through the apostles. In the verses that follow, we won't get into all of them, but uh, what follows is we see this man uh, in verse 8 leaping up, beginning to walk, entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And what happens in the verses after this is that Peter then gets another chance to share the gospel. What started with caring for just one man in the everyday, caring for all of him, created a greater opportunity to share Jesus. In the rest of chapter 3, Peter then gets up. All these people are amazed. So he gets up and he starts declaring the gospel to them, calling them to repent and believe, just like he did a chapter before. And wouldn't you know, God saves some people. Because there's miracles of healing people's bodies, and there's also miracles of raising people to new spiritual life. And God is, I'm convinced, still doing all of it. I don't think we get to be in charge of it, but I do think we say, Lord, would you, would you please heal this person? Would you please save this person? So that they would know. There's a God in heaven, and his name is Jesus, and he wants you to know him. That's the whole reason Jesus would heal people. That's the whole reason we see the apostles healing people. It's as a, a launching pad into telling them about the God who just healed them. And this, this whole idea of acting in mercy and caring about every part of people's lives, becoming a greater platform for sharing the gospel, was driven home to me in a very tangible way in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, there's a, a guy who's become a good friend to me, kind of like an older brother, who pastors a church in Cyprus. And um, he's, a, I mean, he's an ordinary guy. He's not an extraordinary pastor, but God has just been using him to do some incredible things in Cyprus. And part of that is because when the hurricane hit and there's all these homes flooded out in Cyprus, their whole church just... I mean, their, their building was still flooded, and yet they started collecting supplies and raising money and going to total strangers' homes and starting to rip out drywall and do all of this work. And people would ask, why are you doing this? And they would say, because Jesus loves you. And their church did so much 
they have almost raised to this point in the last month or so almost a half a million dollars to help fund other relief efforts. Um, but my friend has also been on the news at least twice, maybe more, because people are so astounded that Christians would care about people who aren't Christians. So much that they would risk exposure to black mold and who knows what else, cleaning out other people's homes that they don't know, have never met, simply because they would say, Jesus loves you. Something as simple as that has been so astounding to the world that they're sending news crews to talk to my friend and go, so what, uh, what, are you, what is this? You're, you're, ju- you're just helping people. That, like, that's it? And he's had the opportunity then to share the gospel on national news outlets. Saying we're doing this because Jesus came to save us because he loves us and he loves these people and we want them to know it. Not to just know it, but to receive it, to experience it, to have a tangible expression that they can hold on to so that when the day comes, they move back into this house. They'll know this, this home's only standing because these Christians came in and they cleaned it all out. And I came across this quote the other day by Madeline Langle. Uh, he would recognize as the author of A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, soon coming with Oprah, by the way. It actually looks pretty good. Uh, but she wrote this, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light so lovely that they want to know with all their hearts the source of it. How beautiful is that? That people would feel so loved and so cared for in every part of their lives. Not, not condemned because they're sinners. Of course they are. So are we. And here's a Jesus who loved to sit with you and eat with you and would give you so much what God can do through simple acts of kindness and mercy. And so as we close and we continue praying for these people, one of the things that I want us to pray together in this moment is that God would give us something tangible. Something simple. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture. I was talking to Mark about this just a couple days ago. and As he was reflecting and thinking and praying about it, uh, there's a, a support staff in his school. that He could just tell, man, they're going through a... a Something's going on, and they're having a rough time. So he just got a card and just wrote a kind note, and was going to give it to him. Something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be much. The, the, the tragedy is we are so starved for simple kindness in this world. The smallest act can just blow somebody away. But what I want us to be praying is for these hundred people, maybe more, that God would reach them and that he would give us something Simple and yet tangible to express in a real way the mercy of God and the kindness of God and what He has secured for us in Christ and how He shares that freely with the world and He has something for you. And so uh, no better way to end with that than by simply praying right now. And like we prayed last time, if uh, I, I will pray over these. Again, not that there's something special about pieces of paper or that we just want the church to be bigger for the sake of being bigger, but we want to see God save people because there's no other reason the church exists except for that. 
So we want to see God do that, and we want Him to use us to do it. And so the, these pieces of paper that represent the people and the families and the stories, we want to pray over these. And so if, if you want to pray with me, you can, you can sit there, you can raise a hand, whatever you feel comfortable with. I know we're technically Presbyterian, so you might not like the idea of raising a hand. But whatever you need to do, we can pray together and ask God, give us something real, something tangible, something that people can hold on to. And use that, God, to stir them to faith. So let's pray that now. Father, God, I thank you that you are one who doesn't just care about saving our souls, but God, you have come and you're going to redeem every part of your creation. You're going to redeem the trees and the stars. You're going to redeem our bodies, our hands, our feet, our eyes. You're going to redeem our relationships with one another. You're going to redeem the way that we relate to each other. And that you're already doing it now by your Spirit, giving us a simple taste of what is to come. So Lord, I pray again for these people, these possibly a hundred people, wherever they are right now, and wherever this week will take them, I pray, God, that you will meet them in every place. That your Spirit will be so stirring in their hearts that when you lead us to them and you give us the opportunities to tell them about Jesus, it connects and it resonates with whatever you're doing in them so deeply that they can't help but start to think about it and start to ask questions and want to know more about you. And I pray for us, again, like last week, that your Spirit would help us to make the Gospel make sense to them, that you would give us the words to say to connect with whatever you're doing in their heart. But God, I also pray that you would give us something tangible, something simple, maybe as a, as a card or bringing somebody coffee or whatever it might be. Lord, you know, you know what will touch these people. You know what will connect with them. So I pray that you would lead us into those things, that you would give us the idea of how to show them your mercy and how to show them your compassion to that these people would know that there is a God in heaven and His name is Jesus and He loves every part of them and He came to make them new and give them new life. And Lord, would You help us in those moments? It's scary sometimes. It's, it can feel weird. Lord, help us not to let the weirdness or the scariness, the, the fear that we don't have the answers to their questions, don't let, don't let that make us shy away. But instead, Lord, Make us bold. Make us confident. And Lord, make us freely share Jesus with these men and women and children. And I pray, God, that we would start to see you changing some of these people. And those, those early wins, if you will, would just push us on all the more to share the gospel more freely, to share you more often, to be more confident and sure that our God wants to save all of these people. So Lord, we lift them up to you as a church. We pray that nothing would prevent your work in their hearts and their minds. That no work of the enemy or human flesh would keep them from wanting to know you and chase hard after you and joining us in this journey together. So would you do this please in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.